wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Welcome. You can head to bleedingdaylight.net to hear from more people who are kicking against the darkness. As well, you'll find links to our Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Please share this and other episodes with others. Today's episode is for any men who want to discover more of who they were created to be and for the women who want to understand how to help them on that journey. Chris Bruno loves an adventure. Proof of that is the fact that he was a missionary in the Middle East for 10 years. These days, he's a licensed professional counsellor working mostly with men and trauma. He's the founder of Restory Counseling as well as Restoration Project. Chris is the author of three books, including Sage, A Man's Guide into His Second Passage. It's my pleasure to have him join us on Bleeding Daylight today. Chris, thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. So great to be with you today. Thanks for having me on the show. Before we begin on anything new or we take a particular course of action, we generally recognize the need for it within ourselves. So what was the catalyst for you to begin working with men and the issues that they face? Fantastic question. So the issues with men started with me because I'm a man and I have issues. So there's something that uh, came up in me while I was serving overseas as a young father, trying to figure out my life, trying to figure out how to be a minister, how to be a good husband, that there were some things that I recognized that were really kind of unfathered, unfinished places inside of me that really needed some tending. And so I stepped into an investigation into what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to kind of grow into who God made me to be from that journey and onward? uh, That is really where I began to kind of step into the realm of working with men in the landscape of the masculine heart. Where do you start to investigate that kind of thing? Because we all have either great or average or not so good parenting along the way. We have different influences, but where do we go to look for the ultimate guide of this is what a man should look like? (laughs) I wish the answer to that question were really easy. It's not. I think the the Sunday school answer is looking to Jesus. And I, I do believe that there is some validity in that answer. And I also think that we need to take a step back and and look at what I would do. And this is some of the work I do in counseling is uh, to look at your story, to look at not uh, only the story that you've lived, like the general itinerary of your life, but the story that is underneath the subtext of all of those events and, and emotions that you've had throughout your lifetime. What I did was I took a step back. I looked at where have I been? Where am I going? What have I gotten from my father, from my mother? What have I not gotten from my father and mother? And then what are some of the places that I still have need? And and then once I was able to identify some of those needs, then step into what does it look like for me to meet some of those? As a missionary in the Middle East, uh, I didn't have counselors. I didn't have a pastor. I didn't have really a group of friends even to kind of go to and look to. So I looked a lot to some authors. Now, this was a good you know, 20, 25 years ago that I was doing this. So the the authors now are different than the authors then, but I did find some that were helpful and they actually kind of gave me a direction to investigate further for my own life and story. So that's where I would say we begin. 
You mentioned there that while you were serving overseas, you didn't have that group of friends around you. But I'm wondering for men generally, do they have that group of friends around them? Do they have those people? Like we, we hear of, of women getting together just to talk, and yet I rarely see that in men. How, how right. do we go about finding this group of men that are going to be supportive, that are going to be able to talk about the deep issues without it feeling really weird? Yeah. Well, that's, again, another great question. And I, I agree with you. I think we see often our, our, our sisters being able to do that relatively well. I think they would say there's some challenges there too, but I, I see them do it more often at least. You know, one of the books that I have, The Brotherhood Primer, talks about this very thing. It is designed to prime the pump for masculine friendships to go to a deeper level. So I, I kind of think about this in this in these terms. If you think about masculine friendships as uh, like concentric circles or like a target, and on the outside of the circle is the least close or, or the most distant relationships, which would be the most distant is just a stranger, right? You've never met that person all the way to the very core through several different stages to the core of what I would call a brother. And those different stages go from, I'll just list them here. They go from stranger. Once you meet somebody, then they become an acquaintance. Once you find some commonality, like some common interest with your acquaintances, then they become a buddy. You might hang out with them. You might watch some sports with them. You might, you know, talk with them on a weekend or maybe your children have sports together, that kind of thing. You have a buddy. But then when you spend more time together, that is when you actually become friends. Now you're choosing to spend time. It's not just the occasion that you're spending time with those people, but, but it's you're choosing to seek them out and go do things together. And then after you spend more time together, there is a necessary intentional shift to move from friend into brother. And that is where you begin to share your stories. That's where you begin to share portions of your life. And it doesn't happen. You can't go from buddy to brother. You have to actually go from buddy to friend to brother first. And I feel like we need more spaces and opportunities and intention to make that movement inward. So those are stranger, acquaintance, buddy, friend, and brother. And I think you're absolutely right. I think most men have, you know, in their phones, they have a contact list of acquaintances, several buddies, and a few friends, but very few of us actually have those men that we would call our brothers. It's interesting that a lot of what we call men's ministries seem to gather men together and then say, okay, now be vulnerable with each other. But it doesn't seem that easy. And yet, if we don't have people that are trying to create these sorts of spaces, it's just not going to happen because most guys aren't going to, to go there. So how do we begin on those steps? You've mentioned those different steps of, of those guys that eventually become brothers. How do we intentionally seek them out without seeming weird about it and, and frightening other guys off when all we're seeking is that brother relationship. Yeah. Well, I like how you even say feeling weird about it. And here's the thing is that I think we might actually need to feel a little weird about it because we're going to need to, you know, just like if you're going to pursue a relationship with a woman, you need to take some relational risks. You need to pursue, you need to ask, you need to put your kind of heart out there and your, your desire out there with her. Why would it be any different with another man? And I feel like, you know, it's obviously going to be a different relationship that you're pursuing with him, but then just saying, Hey, there's something about you that I really like. And I would like to get to know you more. I'd like to get to know your story more. And I'd like to share more of mine. Would you be interested in doing something like that? 
And that does sound weird. We just don't talk like that with other guys. But I feel like if we did, if we started to, then I, I bet we would find some other men who would say, yeah, thanks for asking. I need that too. I want that too. And we could get into some of those places. Honestly, I think it's actually just taking the step, the risky step of intention. You've kind of touched on it a couple of times, but a big part of your counseling is something called story work. Explain that to me. Well, so story work is an investigation and exploration of the narratives that have shaped who you are. I believe that there's actually two stories at work that are actually working against one another. The story that a lot of us would say we have, my story, is uh, is kind of just, I already mentioned this, kind of the framework of your life, the itinerary of your life. You live here, I live here, this is what I do for work, this is how many kids I have, you know, that kind of a thing. That's not actually your story, that's just the scaffolding for your story. If you were to jump in to ask a little bit more about what is what is your story, tell me your stories, I probably would tell you some of the places that, as we just mentioned, some of the places where I've been fathered or not fathered, some of the places that I have trauma or challenges or tragedies or loss or issues in my life. I would call that your second story, the story that came after the first story, because that's not who you were designed to be. That's not who you were made to be. That wasn't the, when God thought you up, that wasn't what he thought you should be or could be. Those are the things that happened to you after you showed up on the scene. So those are the second story, the story that is coming against you. The first story is the story that God designed for you to live. And and the way that I like to talk about this is, is that if you were a fingerprint of God, there is a unique fingerprint on you versus on me versus on the next guy. And that fingerprint is the way that he uniquely images himself into you and into me differently. That fingerprint is his intention, his poetry, his artistry, his handiwork of what he has created you to be and how you are to reflect who God is to the world. And and long before you even showed up on the planet, that was his intention for you. That was his design. That was his story for you. That is your first story and probably one that you may have inklings to, but probably don't even really know. It's more like a echo of a song from your childhood that you know the melody to, but you forgot the words. And so some of the story work that I do is is not just attending to the, the trauma stories, the tragedy stories, the issues that you have in your life. It is that and what are those trauma and tragedy stories coming against? What is the glory that God has written into your life that he still desires for you to live? And how can we recover those things? That is my unique approach to kind of what story work is, the shaping narratives of who you were designed to be and who you are and helping us find ourselves again. I know when you're going into this story work with someone, it's it's a longer process and it's really hard to, to narrow it down within a, a very short conversation. Yes. How do you stop people from seeing that first story, that person who they should be, and being so overwhelmed that there's such a distance between that and the story they're living? How do you actually draw them into that story rather than having them feel overwhelmed that I'm so far away from that? Yeah, well, we have to start with where we are. We have to start with the experience that we currently have. And so, if I'm talking with somebody and they have an addiction or they have a, a struggle or they have a, you know, a problem that they're facing right now, we have to start in the present and then begin to move into the past, not necessarily to the first story right away, but into the past of where did these things begin? Where did the addiction begin? Where did the struggle begin? Where did the depression begin? 
Uh, and, and maybe what is the story of the trauma that you lived through? So we have to do some of that work. That's why I call it an exploration or an excavation, because we have to walk into the territory of the heart. But once we are there, once we come to the genesis of kind of where where those struggles have begun, I believe that those struggles exist because they are coming directly against something of goodness and glory within you. We can kind of kind of work upstream, if you will, looking at what has been the challenge and then why is that challenge there? What is it coming against? That's where we begin to see the inklings of that first story. And as you work with men, it must be incredibly satisfying to see them discover eventually and walk into parts of that first story. Oh, absolutely. It is the best experience ever because of two things. One is I get to know the glory of God even more on the, on this earth because I get to know him in the face of this other man, in the story of this other man. So that's first. But then second, where there is truth, where the truth is exposed of who these men are, there is freedom. And I love to see that. You started this process for yourself quite some years ago. So I'm sure that you've absolutely made it now and you're <laughs> you're living your best life. <laughs> I wish I could say so. I wish I could say so. I think the further along in the journey, the more I realize how much more there is to go. And I just think that that is the process of coming to be be more in the likeness of Christ. The closer that we get, the, real, the more we realize how much greater he is than we ever realized. I, <laughs> I have a long ways to go. <laughs> in the meantime, though, you must look back and, and say, you know what? I've got a long way to go, but I've come a long way, and that must be satisfying for you as well. Oh, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. And and one of the things that I love to do is to see both in my life and then also in the lives of the men that I work with, how when we begin to do this work, it actually has generational impact. Generations to come will uh, will be impacted by the work that we do. And I love this this saying, it is that trauma is passed down from generation to generation until someone is brave enough to feel it. And I feel like that when we step into that space and we begin to feel it and do it and, and process it and work through it, we have this opportunity to literally change our family tree, that we stop kind of the genesis of trauma in the family tree and say, no more. No more beyond me. The legacy that I want to leave is a legacy of presence and a legacy of kindness and a legacy of, of gentleness, strength and gentleness combined, and no longer the, the story of trauma and violence or whatever it may be in, in your life addiction, you know, whatever it may be, this is where it stops. That's what I love to get to, to do and get to see happen in my life and in other people's lives. And when you talk about legacy, that touches on many men who would probably be thinking, well, I need to stuff down my own issues because I just need to get on with life. I've got a wife to support. I've got kids that I want to bring up right. And yet I would imagine that this is the sort of thing that actually brings them release from a lot of the things that, that we're feeling and actually sets them up better. So it does set up that legacy. Absolutely. You know, the number one variable for us to be able to serve those around us and care for those around us is for us to be healed and well men, healthy men. And when that happens, it has ripple effects all around us. And that's actually part of the work that I've been working on recently that's just put out a book called Sage a man's uh, guide into his second passage. And that is all about how when we are making the movement into our own hearts, we're actually intentionally leaving a legacy in a different way. We can't do that if we're not 
ourselves well. You know, when you're on an airplane, what do they say, you know, in the emergency situation, you know, the the masks will drop. What do they say about the children? They say, put your mask on first so that you can then help the others. And I, and I feel like for those of us that attend to our own lives and our own stories, it's actually helping the world around us when we kind of start with making sure that we ourselves are healthy. I'm very interested in that book, Sage, A Man's Guide into His Second Passage. Give me a bit of an understanding of what brought you to writing that and and what we could find within those pages. I have always endeavored to live life out loud. I have a couple of books that I've written. The first one is a book about boy's journey from boyhood into manhood. It's called Manmaker Project, and it's all about the first rite of passage that a father is responsible to kind of lead his son into manhood. And now we can get into that and talk about how I never had that and most of us have never had that. But there is something important about that first rite of passage from going from boy to man. Well, there is actually a second passage and and we don't talk about it a lot. And that is uh, if boy to man is the first passage, then man to sage is the second passage. And I believe that that's actually the the, the pinnacle of manhood is when we step into the role of the elder, into the role of the sage, that biblically that is what we see, that is where generations before us have all longed to be kind of that wise man in the community, and we just have kind of forgotten that. So, as I live life out loud, I wrote the book for my son as I was leading him through that initial first passage, and then I wrote sage for me as I have been going through that second passage myself. And I'm just on the front end of that, uh, and I'm, again, not anywhere close to being a sage myself, and yet I, I, I want to have a roadmap for it. And I looked into a whole bunch of history and literature and gathered thoughts and, and, and all that, and that's what you can find in the book Sage, a roadmap, really, on how to make that second passage. And we hear a lot of language about this part of life, of going the distance, of, of finishing well, and yet there seems to be something more in this in a sage, there's someone who is passing down wisdom to the next generation. Do you think many men actually connect with this? Do they feel that I'm going to have something to pass on? Or are most guys just, I need to get on with life? Yeah. I think they feel like they won't have much to pass on, but I feel like that is a false understanding of what the sage actually is. The best thing that we can pass on to the next generation after us is not our information. It's not our advice. It's not our expertise. The world is full of experts. The world world is full of advice. We can find that stuff on YouTube. What we cannot find on YouTube is presence. We cannot find the, the settled presence of a solid man. There is something that happens when a sage walks into the room. Everybody else just takes a deep breath and relaxes because he's here. And it's not that he has anything super important to say. It's just that his presence brings with it a sense of rest and relief and solidness. Uh, and, And so I feel like if we change our posture, our thinking a little bit about what a sage is, it's not about the information he has to pass on. It's the presence that he has to bring. Then yes, absolutely. Every single one of us has that, that we can offer the next generation. As you say, you're just entering that stage now and you're wanting to do it well. And that's why you've written the book. But tell me, How did you go about finding those sage type men within your own life up to this point? Yeah. Well, I I mentioned when I was a missionary overseas, I had to look to authors. I had to look to books. And so I I did that. But 
even long ago when I was 16 years old, I was an exchange student in Germany and uh, I had no English books with me except for three fiction books that I took with me. And so I was living with a German family and everything was German there. Everything was German in the high school. And the only place that I had for respite and escape into my own native tongue was into these three books. I dove into those books. And as a 16 year old, what I saw in these fictional characters was the kind of man that I wanted to become. And I I didn't have the language for it then, but as I look back now, these were the sages that I wanted to become. And so as a 16-year-old, I kind of set my sights on, hey, when I am older, that's the kind of man that I long to be. So it was those men that have been with me, those fictional characters, the authors that have helped me through the journey. And I do feel like authors really can offer a lot of thinking and presence and different perspectives and all those kinds of things that, that maybe we don't have a live action person right now to offer that to me. There are plenty of, of people, men and women both, who have written some amazing things. But then also in high school, I had an older man who sidled up next to me. In college, I had a man like that. And then even now, you know, I have a man in my life that is 20 years older than I am. And it's not that I like I said, I, I don't seek his wisdom. I seek his presence. So I feel like if we are intentional about becoming sages, there are men, few as they may be, there are men who are who are sages that, that we can find. And if we can't find those men. That, I think, is when we just go, okay, Lord God, would you please open my mind and open my heart to this journey of becoming a sage? I feel like there's all kinds of answers to that, both historical, fiction, even some of the sages from the scriptures, as well as real live men that we might know or want to know. What would it be like for listeners right now to think about a few of the older guys in their lives? And it doesn't have to be like older, older guys. It can just be somebody five, 10 years down the road from you and initiating back to the weird, awkward conversation, initiating a conversation saying, Hey, I need somebody who's a couple years down the road from me, who can just sit with me and be with me as I journey through this life. Can I have coffee with you once a month? It sounds like there's an intentionality here that even as that 16 year old boy, you were recognizing something in those books, in the men described in that fiction yes. that you wanted to be like. So does it actually start with that intentionality of wanting to move on towards something bigger, something better, something that is going to shape who we are? Absolutely. And, and intentionality is really one of the key pieces that I think we need as men today. So there's a couple things I'll say about that. First, I think that we we struggle with giving our attention to things. Our you know, attention is drawn by social media and sports and work and bank balances and you know, all the kinds of things that we find ourselves caught up in. And so our attention is really split and, and it takes some work to make sure that we are giving our attention to something for a significant amount of time. But attention is only as good as your intention of what are you going to do with it? Where are you going to go with it? I can give my attention to an, an advertisement, but if I'm not going to follow through on it, you know, like it's the follow through, the intention. What is this about? Where is this going? What is the plan that I have for myself in this in this direction? But then the third thing I'll, I'll throw into the mix: if there's attention and intention, then it is moving from intention to action. I don't know how many people are listening and have all the great intentions of the world to, for example, buy their wife flowers. 
But if they don't actually buy the flowers, you can't show up at home and say, hey, I thought about buying you flowers. Isn't that good enough? No, it's actually taking the step into action that brings the intention to life. And that, that I think, is something that we, we all need to work on. So attention, intention, and then intention leading to action is really key. And if we don't have those things, if we don't kind of have that, those three elements working in our lives, then we will just kind of live on autopilot and things will just happen and we will just literally get old. Not every old man is a sage. I'm interested in ministries within churches towards men. Oh, yeah. Because I think all churches want to do that well, but I'm not sure that all do, as as with anything, I guess. What would you think are the essentials of a men's ministry within a church? Wow, that's a big question that we could talk a lot of time on. I, I, if I were to boil it down, I would say this. There needs to be some masculine spaces where men gather and in those spaces, there needs to be some, some experiences that those men have together. That, I think, is just at the, at the base, at the core. And I think a lot of churches do that. A lot of churches do that. There's men's retreats, there's men breakfast, there's you know, various events that men might do. They might go golfing, they might go rock climbing, they might do those kinds of things. So having a place where men gather and have experiences, the place that I feel like that a lot of churches can grow in is not just having the experience that has some lesson that they're supposed to learn about God's holiness or my need for men or those kinds of things. There's not a lesson as a result of the experience. The experience is supposed to lead to, and this goes back to one of my buzzwords, is supposed to lead to story. And so how can we move from the experience that we have into the sharing of some stories? And they don't have to be super vulnerable stories, but just some stories from your life that you're beginning to share with other men. I also feel like we need to train our men on how to listen to story well, so that when someone starts to share something about their lives, you're not just sitting there thinking about how, oh, that happened in my life. Let me share mine. You know, and, and we just kind of hijack the conversation. No, we need to train our men in how to sit with and listen and ask some really good questions. Because I think once we move from experiences into story, then it gives us the opportunity to notice and investigate and explore that first story and be able to name some of that with the men over the course of time. Big conversation that we could have around that. That would be some of the basics of what I think need to be there. I just don't think we ever move really well from experience into story. Let me give you just like one little simple example of this. So say a group of men are going golfing, something that guys do or fly fishing, right? Something that guys do. The experience is the golf, but the story is what if you were to ask each other while you're golfing, what was golf like for you when you were a boy? Simple question. And it could be, I golfed every week with my father or in my life, my father went golfing every week and I was never invited. So now all of a sudden we're in a place of story and I have shared a little tidbit of my life and what it felt like for me to grow up. Well, now the other guys have an opportunity to do one of two things. They can ask more questions or they can hijack it right away and go like, well, well, you know, that happened to me too. And this one time I went golfing with my uncle and da, da, da. like it totally hijacks it and goes a different direction. I would love for us as a community of men to learn how to stay with that and to ask the second and third and fourth questions of like, wow, that must have been pretty hard to see your dad go off and golf without you. 
What was that like? What did that feel like? Are there other places that he went and did things without you? Who did you do things with, if anyone? Those are the second and third and fourth questions that lead us into the place of actually having some of those more, you know, as I said earlier about the friend moving into brother, it's where we start to share our stories that we go from friendship into brotherhood. That's what I'm talking about. We've certainly covered a lot of ground over the last half hour, and I'm sure that there are men who are thinking, yeah, I I really need to be a part of this. But there's probably also women who are thinking, my man needs to be a part of this. (laughs) So how do women gently encourage their men to be involved in something like this? I always believe that all of us, men and women, adults and children alike, we respond far better to vision than we do to correction. So I would invite women to uh, really consider, hey, this is the man that I know you are and the man that I see living inside of you. And I would love to encourage you to find more of that man because I really like him. I really like it when that guy shows up. And I've heard that there's a couple things that you could do. Here's some resources. Here's a connect. Here's a ministry. Here's a podcast. Those kinds of things that might help you do that. Because I know that you enjoy yourself better and you know, to be honest, so do I when that man shows up. So I think it's more that casting a vision than it is to say, hey, you're a deadbeat or you have problems or you have issues. You need to get counseling. You need to get fixed. Go fix yourself. I think, I I don't think that I know that I wouldn't respond that way really well to that. And I also don't think that many people do. So casting a vision far more than offering correction. If people are wanting to find out more about the sorts of things that we've been talking about, what is the easiest way for them to connect with you? The books that I mentioned are available on Amazon um, in hard and digital copies. So you can get those on Amazon. You can just search for Sage Chris Bruno on Amazon. You'll find that and you can find links to the other ones there. But then also, if you're interested in the ministry, uh, ours is restorationproject.net. And if you would like to get the first chapter of any of these books for free, you're welcome to. Uh, they're all the PDFs are there online. You can go to restorationproject.net slash first chapter and grab one of those. We also have the Counseling Center. I am a counselor. And, and though we are located here in Colorado, we can work with people all across the world. And so there are a whole team of people that I've trained in this story work, this restory work that I call it. Uh, and you can find us at restory.life. And I will put all those links in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net so that people can find that very easily. Chris, it has been an honor to speak to you. And as I say, we've covered a lot of ground and I think that people will want to follow up and they'll want to be able to explore that more fully. But thank you so much for your time today. Absolutely. So good to be with you today. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.